Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody, here we are once again, West Point, Mississippi, Mossy Oak brand camo's home. Home. We're in the Gamekeeper studio. We yes. got a new little clock over there running. You've, you've completely assessed So now we place. know when we've talked too long. That, that, yeah, that may be distracting looking over there at that time. I'm not going to look at it because I get distracted <laughs> enough. Lanny, you were gone last week. We're glad to have you yeah, back. Yeah, proud to be back. Proud to be back in the studio. Looking good in here. Excited about what we're going to talk about today. I do have to say, though, Hercules has got a little bit of different look than he's had before. Uh, well, I noticed that about a couple of weeks ago. I, I, that's a, a, a heck of a two-year-old. <laughs> that uh, Somebody, it, my heart hurts that somebody would come in here and touch Hercules and move him. It's a shame. I just noticed. It's a shame. It, what, is what that is. a cowbell? Shame. That's like the that's like the coffee commercial Shame. where they secretly replace what? the what? the coffee with Folgers crystals. Well, you know that deer should have never been killed to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> that deer in another couple of years would have been a, a, a superstar, monster. no question. Yeah. About so it. A, apparently you noticed it. And oh, just right never off said the bat. Anything. So I got an I've got an alert on uh, <laughs> a tag on Hercules. So if somebody ever stole him, I could track him down. So I knew immediately when he so moved. So you know where he is now. I know exactly where okay, he is good. now. And I didn't, I didn't, we, I, you know, we didn't think we'd get that value. Well, well you're the OG prankster, so we just decided to well, you know, send one right back at you. Especially with Sam doing right. it. Because he's he's got his hands back there and cooking oil and grease and Touching everything else. Touching on Hercules like that? Yeah. I'm I know you. Yeah. My feelings are hard. I bet you are. It, like I said, it's a shame that somebody did that is, yeah. what, is, is what it is. So. I still don't know what the bell with the shame is. Well, you didn't watch Game of Thrones, obviously. No, I didn't. You're the only person in the United States that did I didn't either. So, Lane, I wanted to ask you, I had an encounter with a snapping turtle yeah. this past weekend, mm-hmm. and he almost bit me. Like an alligator snapping Yeah, yeah. Their turtles, their necks are a lot Like the one that when it bites you, he doesn't let go to the thunder. That's what I was going to ask you about. Do you? How do you think that legend got started? I don't know, but I heard it my whole life. And yeah. I tell you what, it encouraged me not to get bit by one. Yeah. Certainly, <laughs> if you can trace that back to Native American. I don't know. Isn't there a video? I've seen a video online of a guy getting bit by one. I tell you, they look like they've got powerful jaws. Oh, you know they and, do. And, and, but the whole time I'm... And that little beak thing, you know? Yeah, so I went to move him. He was kind of in the way and... and and Where I went, were you? At the Ponderosa? It, well, I, no, I was not at the Ponderosa. I was at uh, another <laughs> the little place. secret bass fishing and, hole. And, and, oh, I know exactly where And that where thing reached out. It looked like his head stuck out a foot. And yeah. came back there around. And all, if I hadn't been so, you know, I'm quick. 
as a oh yeah, uh, and, yeah uh, real quick. But I he didn't. <laughs> well, anyway, that caught, whole yeah, that whole won't let go till the, the thunders was in my mind. I caught one in a conibear one time when we were beaver trapping, and it is amazing how far they can reach with that neck. You think oh, he's yeah. part snake? <laughs> yeah, that's there. what he looked like. Yeah, yeah, like ah. <laughs> you missed the snake video. Last I did week. miss the the snake episode. It, it was. But you had some of the spookiest, scariest Cut, snake left here saying, "I'm not, I'm not going to sleep a wink tonight." <laughs> 18... Van, you had Vandy in here. He scared snakes. He did. He you were terrified of snakes. I think it was the perfect one for me to miss because I'm really the only one that's not scared of snakes. It was bad. That, it was I mean, bad. It, it was. Uh, it, and, and watching the video of what was going on, I mean, they 18 foot Burmese pythons. Well, I hate, I hate, I missed it. But yeah, well. Well, it, you know, everything's good. You're back here in time. And, yeah. And uh, so, anyway, the boss isn't here today. I think he's out planting duck holes. He is mm-hmm. in hot pursuit of some green heads, that's for sure. So, I think they are spending some time uh, on a little piece of property they got north of here trying to get it uh, finally shaped and ready for, for waterfowl. I think he so. was saying he was getting ready for getting ready That's exactly what season. he's doing. Uh, last night, Martin Jury, I hadn't even thought about this, but he said the weather is is very conducive to EHD in the Midwest. Is year. that high humidity, low humidity? Well, this this uh, that so dry it dries down and it, it exposes places that these midge flies can hatch. I think is the way oh, it was explained to like me. Like the but water's edge. The, the dry dry weather is a big contributor, and they are really having a tough time. Mm. I, it, it, he he said guaranteed we're going to have EHD this year, and that just kind of. I mean, if you're a guy and you're you're growing deer in five, six, seven, eight years old, and then something like that happens, that's got to be it's tough. devastating. And they're sure. they can't handle it as well as our southern deer can, mm. at least not yet. Boy, that'd be tough. I sure hope that that doesn't happen mm-hmm. out there for you guys that are in the Midwest. That, that's for sure. So, hey, uh, have you tried the Uncle Ray's chips yet? They're delicious. They are delicious. I think we'll break a bag open. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Just uh, you might want to turn his mic off over there if he's going to be doing it. They're quite scrumptious. These are. So we don't, uh, Mac. Are you awake over there? Are you, are you texting again? What's going on? I'm awake. There, there's Mac. So we we had talked about uh, on, for our commercial talking about this new Furminator. Have you paid attention to it? A little bit. We're, small we're, we're, we're trying yeah. to sell some seed right now, so we're kind of busy around here, Bobby. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> that thing uh, would help somebody plant some seed. Hey, I'm sure. excited about it. That's a, a small unit. It's going to be great for getting in little tight nooks and cranny places. You don't have to have a giant piece of equipment to run it. You, you can run it. I think with primarily UTV or an ATV, either yeah. one. So. Or a small tractor with yeah. a three-point hitch. You can hook it up to it. So it's so well made. Yeah. Good stuff. Big, heavy, beefy piece of equipment. Yeah, it really is. And uh, so I'm excited. I think it's a perfect little size for the wildlife guy, for sure. Yeah, that'll be good. So, guys, so what we're talking about is Furminator has an ATV sized unit. So uh, you can go to Furminator.com if that's, I think Mac could back me up if that's not the right website. I'm pretty sure it is. But Furminator.com and check out that uh, that small small unit. They're also making just a uh, a cult packer, mm-hmm. and they've so they've got some new stuff on the horizon, guys. I'd, I'd check them out. Quality, it's good stuff. Dependable stuff. Yeah, they've been around in the implement game longer than anybody, hadn't they? they I mean, we've they, seen some guys come and go. They're steady, but they they're the they're the ones. They are. That's no a testament. That yeah. is a testament. Yep, sure is. So today's show, uh, we're going to be talking about my favorite fish, the shellcracker. <laughs> I love to fish for chinkapins, and uh, 
What, Bobby, you, you couldn't be more wrong. I know you're just being silly, but uh, we, are, we are talking about Castanea ozarkensis. Well, that's what the I The Ozark chinkapin, not to be confused with the chinkapin oak. Um, and our, our guest, A.J. Hendershot, is going to tell us more about it. We're going to ask him a lot of questions. Um, A.J. works with the Missouri Department of Conservation, uh, where he's an education regional supervisor. So he does all kinds of educational stuff. He's got um, a big biology background. Um, so he's just, he's all around, he's a really good woodsman, but um, he's a board member of the Ozark Chinkapin Foundation, um, and we're going to let him get into that more, but as most of our listeners know, uh, the American chestnut uh, suffered from the blight, from an A blight in the early 1900s, and uh, functionally made the, the chestnuts extinct. Uh, but a lot of folks don't know there's a couple other species of Castanea that are native to the United States that were also affected. And so we're going to try to learn more and ask AJ questions and go from and just see where it goes. Yeah, well, why don't you introduce So uh, welcome, AJ. Greetings. All Thanks right. for having me on the podcast. Yeah, glad to have you here. No doubt. Um, so, uh, you know, Let's just start off with the broad story, maybe the history of the blight, um, and uh, we can get off into how, you know, the Ozark Chinkapin Foundation, um, and just go from there. So, what, what, what you got to start with? All right. Well, the Ozark Chinkapin is a lesser-known cousin, as you said, of the American chestnut tree, and there is a blight that started in 1904 in the Bronx Zoo, and it just uh, made a steady march all throughout the range of the American chestnut, the Allegheny chinkapin, and the Ozark chinkapin. Now, at uh, the time that that was happening, all chinkapins were thought to be the same thing. Modern science in the last 20 or 30 years have determined they are not the same thing. There are some differences, which we can go into. But the bottom line is these things are born in a spiny shell, looks like a little porcupine egg, so to speak. And uh, you're right, it's not a chinkapin oak. An oak has an acorn cap, and these uh, chinkapins, they look like an acorn, but they're in a spiny burr. And the major difference is when you try to eat one. If you eat an oak, it's going to be bitter. If you eat a chinkapin, it's going to be sweet, and you can eat as many as you can. You can founder yourself on these things. They're mm. so good. And they're, they're fantastic size for a variety of wildlife. They're good for people. And there's a lot of stories that I've heard over the years about people making use of the nuts, the leaves, the burrs, the wood. Uh, it's just a fantastic tree. And as, as fate would have it, because of this blight, most people have forgotten all about it. And uh, I'm working with a lot of uh, good-hearted folks all across uh, the Ozarks and even on the eastern side of the Mississippi River because the uh, Ozark chinkapin does live in some of the eastern states and uh, people are trying to restore it, bring it back on the landscape. And that's a pretty exciting story. A very exciting story. No doubt. Um, and I'm, I've just been fascinated with it. Uh, and like you said, it can be used for so many different things. I see people uh, dying, you know, dying fabrics with it and, you know, just doing all kinds of cool stuff. But yeah, old timers used to turn their hogs loose and, and let them eat the, eat the nuts and collect them themselves and go into town and trade them for things. And um, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. And uh, yeah. of course I obsessed over it and 
you know, tried to learn as much as I can, but I, I don't know near as much as you guys do uh, with the Ozark Chinkapin Foundation. Uh, can you tell us more about how the foundation was formed? Uh, it's my, it seems to me you guys are a little bit more grassroots than, than uh, maybe the American Chinkapin Foundation. Um, you're, it seems like you're also, you also have a bit of a different plan of attack for um, bringing it back. Uh, so can you just tell us a little bit more about the, the OCF? Yeah, glad to. Uh, we actually call it a tree roots movement because roots. it has come up from the bottom. Uh, this is not something that was born uh, from a, a government agency. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I work no. for a government agency. But uh, this was, uh, it started with a fellow named Stephen Bost and Harold Adams. And they had a conversation in a hunting camp. And Harold was uh, at the time in his 80s. And he mentioned this Ozark chinky pen and uh, how important it was. And Steve Bost, who was a park naturalist, a very good woodsman in his own right, he had no idea what Harold was talking about. Well, come to find out, these things do exist in some uh, key locations. Now, the interesting thing about what Steve started to discover, when he found a patch of chinkapins, he might find 100 to 150 of them. They were all stump sprouted, which means they have gotten the blight, they've died back, they sprout from the stump, they live for about 10 years, get the blight, die back, stump sprout, and the cycle continues on. Hmm. Well, in a patch like that, he would find one tree that was 40, 50 feet tall, and it was doing fine. He would find that same situation two, three, four counties over or in Arkansas or, you know, another state of sorts. What he started to do was work with other people to identify the tree, look for these patches and look for those really healthy trees. And we're gathering pollen and we're crossing the, the trees, even though they might be 50 to 100 miles apart from each other. Well, over the years, we have gotten to the point where we mail seed out to anybody who's a member of the Ozark Chinkapin Foundation. And when we see, send seed out, we're not sending out the calls. We're not sending out low resistance seed. We're trying to make sure that people get really good genetics. And I wanna talk about that in a moment. So don't let me forget about that. Uh, the great thing is you get these seed planted on your property. You're helping us solve a couple of problems. Number one is you have to find trees that have some way of fighting this blight. And number two, you really have to have these trees put back on the landscape and managed and that both of those are monumental issues to deal with. Now we're starting to make progress on the first one and as we get more and more members to the Ozark Chinkapin Foundation and we get more government agencies working with us we're starting to find that we have hope of getting these trees back on the landscape in a natural setting doing what they're supposed to be doing the way they would have 150 years ago in the woods before they were affected by uh, you know some of the mass logging and some of these diseases. So the, the Ozark Chinkapin Foundation, we have membership dues, $30 a year. And what you get for that is some seed that we mail out every winter. The reason we do it in the winter, instead of sending that out in the fall, we put those in a refrigerator with some peat moss, a little bit of moisture, and we keep them right up until about the time that you should probably begin thinking about putting them in the ground. That's when we mail them out. We watch the weather forecast. We're not going to mail these out when it's uh, sub-freezing and we're going to have the mailman put it in your mailbox and then it's going to freeze on you out there and kill the seed. Uh, we don't want that. So we want to make sure those things go out at the appropriate time. And then you have the opportunity to pick a really good site. And what people should be looking for is a site that's very rocky, well-drained, lots of sun, 
In fact, if, if it's got a lot of pine on it or the soil is uh, just not the best in the world, as long as it's not clay, and what I mean by that is clay that's uh, swelling and doesn't drain very well, it's a perfect place for chink pin otherwise. Right. So rocky, sandy soil that's uh, just hot, dry, they love it. At least they give it to me. Yeah, so if you're like me that has a farm that's got a lot of undulating terrain, you probably want to put it further up the hill. Yes. And uh, in, in an aspect where it gets a lot of sunlight. Yeah. But they don't like wet feet. You know, there's a lot of species like that. It sounds like they like yeah. acid soils, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. We're finding there might have been some down in the foothills, but uh, they really do like the, the worse the soil, the better it seems like. Mm. Interesting. Um, so, uh, quickly, can you describe the difference uh Gosh, I've got like five questions in one. The difference between a true chestnut and a true chinkapin. And then can you describe okay. the difference between Allegheny and o Ozark? I will do my best. Uh, when it comes to the chestnuts, they tend to have three seeds in a burr, whereas a chinkapin most of the time is going to have one seed per burr. That's a big difference. Uh, that's the same between Allegheny and Ozark chinkapin. They tend to have one seed per burr. Now your Allegheny chinkapin is really gonna to struggle to get past 25 feet tall, whereas an Ozark chinkapin in the past would reach heights of 80 feet. The American chestnut could get heights of sometimes 100, 120 feet tall. So uh, certainly the Ozark chinkapin is a large tree, but it, it doesn't do anything compared to the American chestnut by comparison. Uh, also, they're, um, the seeds that come out of there, they're round in the chinkapins, but they're more flattened because you're putting three seeds into one burr. So that's a big difference. Now the leaf shapes are very similar. The number of teeth vary a little bit. Uh, for example, the Ozark chinkapin leaf is a little bit longer than what uh, an Allegheny chinkapin leaf is. Uh, and then there's more saw teeth on the Ozark chinkapin than what you're gonna find on the American chestnut. Okay. Now, there's a lot of that stuff on the chinkapin foundations website. So anybody who has questions, jump on there. We have some lookalike diagrams, we have photographs. And if somebody has any question, photographs are great. Send us photographs. We'll do the best we can. And sometimes we ask for a little more information, another picture with a, a ruler or something for scale. But we love talking to people about this. The people that are out there that love this, they're the ones that uh, really find the trees and uh, give us some really good findings. I'm going to turn my lights back on there. Oh, wow. Um, hey, hey uh, let me ask this. So. Okay. Before this blight that got started at the Bronx Zoo occurred, the woods from from all just all over the completely eastern, different than all what they are over now. the eastern mm -hmm. half yeah. half of the United States, even here. Right. So if you looked at an acre, so these chestnuts and chinkapins and Allegheny, they comprised our hardwoods as much as the oak tree does or did. From what I understand, that's the way it was, wasn't it, Dud? Yeah, and uh, like they. From what I've read, the American chestnut can compete with things that oaks can't compete with. So they're, they're getting as big as tulip poplars and things. Now, the Ozarks are a little bit more harsh than the Appalachians, so I'm, I'm assuming the Ozark, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit poor site, so naturally it, it doesn't get as big. But uh, they just figured out how to compete in the forest and, and work together, and then this blight came, and completely changed uh, the AJ, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, maybe 40% of a lot of the uh, hardwood forests had some form of castanea. 
Yeah, uh, you certainly had a lot of the American chestnut comprising your forest in the eastern United States, especially along the Appalachians and the Blue Ridge Mountains. But uh, the Ozark chinkapin was more sporadic in that same area. We found them in uh, Georgia, the Carolinas, Maryland. Uh, Mississippi has a good population, so does Alabama. Uh, we have them in Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. And over on the western side of the Mississippi River, um, they're about as common, or they would have been, as, uh, say, an ash tree. Pollen records are about the same. So if you think about how often you go through the woods and you see an ash tree, well, oh, that's yeah. kind of how it would have been with the chinkapin. I think it would be more like groupings, though. Mm -hmm. uh, you would go to a particular ridge and you would see a particular uh, at rock outcropping and the soil was just right, the sun was just right, and that's where you're going to find a whole grove full of chinkapins. And I get a lot of great stories from old timers talking about in the fall, that's where they would go squirrel hunt because the squirrels could not stay away from these trees and it was a great place to harvest them. So right. how, how long did it take this blight to go from the Bronx Zoo to most everywhere and, 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 and impact these trees? About 50 years. By the, by the 1950s, it was in Missouri and Arkansas. And then uh, later in the, the 50s, it was in Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah, completely it was, changed it was a slow spread. Yeah. Wow. So there's people in the Appalachians that that all of a sudden trees started dying, and they probably had no idea what's going on. No, they didn't. Um, and, you know, it's rot-resistant wood. Uh, a lot of the fence posts you dig up are, you know, could be chestnut or chinkapin. Uh, you know, Toxie and Mr. Fox's cabin is, is made out of American chestnut, chestnut from, sure from not too far north and east of here. That had to greatly impact wildlife when that started. It's just if, if there were that many chestnuts and that many chinkapins. Mm -hmm. uh, Completely uh, changed the yes. landscape. Yeah. No yeah. So, you know, we, we need to do what we can to bring them back. Um, and that's what the. Ozark Chinkapin Foundation is doing. It's, it's a fascinating story. Um, I was yeah. on the Tom Bigby National Forest last year goofing around one Sunday afternoon, and I thought I came across one. And so um, I'm, I can't quite remember the email, but it's like info at uh, Ozark, whatever. It's on their website, and I sent photos in, and Steve Bost himself looked at them, and, and he said that it wasn't, you know, but... Uh, I'm still going to look for more. It's fun to try there to find so what stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the the best I can tell. Um, Sweet gum. No, <laughs> I'm trying to come up with the, the speed. Uh, it was some type of service berry, but it was on an upland site, mm -hmm. uh, growing out of rocky ground. So I'm still I'm still kind of rooting for, but the the leaf edges were not. Um, I'm not good at explaining the identifying features, but the leaf edges were somewhat rounded. Um, and so that kind of said it's, it's not a native Castanea. Hmm. So do you have to have multiples, like four or five of these together to have for them to be able to produce nuts? Well, they, oh, that's a good question. Yep. It, they produce both flowers, but they don't self-pollinate very well. So if you have a group of trees together, you've got much better pollination. So. so when a guy joins, you guys, how many of these nuts do you send them? Generally about four or five, depending on the year. And see, this year we're a little concerned. This drought has been really hard on our trees. 
some of the trees are beginning to drop the burrs already uh, just due to the extreme heat and the lack of rainfall. They're uh, even changing colors on, in terms of leaves. So it's pretty, pretty obvious they're biologically shutting down for the summer and then they'll bounce back in the spring, but that makes it tough for us sending seed out. Uh, but bottom line, we wanna make sure that people have the best opportunity to raise trees and get pollination and get nuts of their own so that they can feed the wildlife, use on their own or give it to other people. So look, I, I'm going back out of here because this is Dudley's. Oh no! Forte, Keep but, asking. But but one other thing. So there could be somebody listening to this, and that's somewhere and realizes they have some of these trees and didn't even really know what they were or might might not have paid attention to them. That then could get in touch with AJ and might could be a seed source for you in the future. Yeah, and that happens on a regular basis. Uh, one that happened this past winter, a lady asked me, "Is this a chinka pen?" And oftentimes my response is, well, no, it's a Chinese chestnut or it's uh, a chinka pin oak or something like that. But this time I said, you know, I think you've got the real deal. Would you mind if I send a forester that's affiliated with us out to visit with you? Is that okay? And she said, oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Chris Wyatt with the Arkansas Fishing Game went out to visit with her and he didn't just find one chinka pin. He found about a dozen mm. and some of them were pretty good size. And uh, it was certainly worth managing. And interestingly enough, once you find some of these chinka pins, it doesn't just end there and say, yay, you found a chinka pin. Uh, we've got some suggestions. Here's some things you could do. We're not here to take over or uh, mandate what you have to do. It's here if you care about this tree. Obviously, you do. You wouldn't have contacted us. Uh, but here's some management techniques. So if you have trees that are crowding the chinka pin, cut those. Make sure they fall away from the, the chinka pin so it doesn't cause damage. Um, anytime you've got uh, some branches that are uh, damaged, uh, sometimes just cutting that, trimming it up and allowing that tree to grow nice and healthy and limit the amount of wound space that could be available for blight uh, to increase there. All those things make a big difference. Are you, you checking, about, you checking email there, Landon? No, that's not me. That's not me. Sorry. You've got mail. <laughs> yeah, I don't, that, that's, that's be You've got mail. <laughs> now, I was actually looking at the, uh, the Ozark Chicken Fan Foundation website, uh, digging up in here and looking at some stuff. You mentioned um, that the, the tree, does it have to have an open wound to get the blight? It does. There has to be some kind of damage. And as ridiculous as it sounds, a squirrel jumping off of a branch can scratch thin young bark on the, the limb tips enough for one of those spores to get in there and get going. But to obviously if there's a storm, a limb gets broken off or there's some damage for other reasons, uh, that's a, a place, an entry location for that particular tree to get infected. And then the whole cycle begins. And this is, so this is an air, air, airborne transferred blight. Is that the best yes. way to put it? And mm -hmm. is it everywhere anyways, or is it, uh, or is the blight, kind of restricted to specific locations it's pretty much in areas where you do have um, chestnut relatives but it can also live it doesn't kill but it lives on sumacs uh, and uh, you know that's as common as anything so just because you don't have a lot of chink pins or chestnuts in your area now and you plant some new ones that doesn't mean that blight's not going to show up hmm. uh, it could be there from generations past that's interesting that it's housed on sumac, you know, like the, the cedar apple rust that affects apples is, is housed on cedars. Yeah. And uh, I was talking about that with somebody else earlier today, you know, back when uh, everything used to burn uh, every year, just about all the cedars retreated. So now that there's cedars everywhere, it, it makes it a lot tougher on the, the oh, native apples. crab apples. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it's, it's funny how those 
plants kind of work together and against each other. Uh, you know, sumac and chestnut aren't even related. Are these trees susceptible uh, to, to like root rot? Are those kind of symptoms, are they more susceptible? That's another good question. It is a good question. Uh, there's a cinnamon uh, root rot, and you might, mm -hmm. you might know more about that than I do, AJ. There is one that affects the American chestnut called the ink root rot or ink root disease. And uh, that, interestingly enough, is something the Ozark chinkapin does not uh, succumb to at all whatsoever. So that's a good thing. Uh, there's also a gall wasp that infects the American chestnut and the Ozark chinkapin does not succumb to that either. Uh, it's, it's an interesting tree. It's pretty tough. If you're going to live in the Ozarks, you better be tough or get out because it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's uh, sometimes an inhospitable place to be. But uh, the Ozark chinkapin does uh, have a history of thriving there in the past. And what we're finding, some of those trees I've mentioned that we, we find and we cross-pollinate, uh, we're doing some blight testing on them and we're comparing them to uh, an American chestnut that's pure, uh, totally susceptible to the blight, and we compare it to Chinese chestnuts. And what we're finding is that some of our trees are just as susceptible as the American chestnut, but some of the crosses, those trees are as resistant as the Chinese chestnut, and in some cases they are more resistant than the Chinese chestnut. And keep in mind the Chinese chestnut has had this blight for millennia. It's, it's grown up around it, so to speak. And now we have a tree that uh, because of some of the genetics we're getting crossed there, we're finding trees that they are definitely more resistant to the blight. So what that means is they're going to get it, but the chances of them dying is much lower than it was if we were just letting them go you know, as fate would have it. So it's, it's pretty interesting to see the progress we've made in 15 years just by looking for those really mature trees surrounded by trees that are infested by the blight. Yeah, I'm hoping that's, some of our listeners will, have, uh, will, will yeah, realize they've got some. And that's, yeah. it's such a simple process and, and easy to do. Just, you, yeah. the, uh, you know, Darwinism at its finest, the, the strong survive. Um, yeah. So uh, as far as taste goes, would you, if you were to have a handful of Chinese chestnuts and you were blindfolded, and I'm talking about humans and deer, you know, a lot of us are deer hunters, we're turkey hunters, we like the wildlife to eat all this mass that falls out of trees. Uh, which one is, is there a difference in, in flavor? Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, I greatly prefer. Ozark chinkapins, and it's not just because I'm biased. It's <laughs> I really think they taste great. Uh, they do have a lot more, um, they've got a lot more starch in there, carbohydrates, so they're going to taste sweeter, but they're also higher in protein. If you look at, uh, on the website, we do have some comparisons on nutritional analysis within the, the group Castanea and also other native hardwood nuts here in the, the eastern United States. The Ozark chinkapin is a heavy hitter. Uh, it doesn't necessarily beat every nut every time, but uh, it does not have to hold its head in shame. It's very high in protein, carbohydrates. It's got a reasonable amount of fat, um, and it's got some fiber in it. So it is definitely a wildlife-friendly food. And the great thing is it's easy to crack. So squirrels, turkey, uh, deer, anything that can eat a small post oak nut is going to love. And those are chinkapin because it is free of tannins. You can eat them without getting sick. And, uh, and truthfully, it does change uh, the flavor of the meat. I mean, uh, here in the, the Ozarks, most of our deer eat a lot of acorns. 
and I marinate my deer meat for a day or two just to get some of that tannic acid flavor out of there. And then, uh, and I love deer meat. Don't, uh, don't misunderstand. I love it. I just marinated a little bit, but eating more and more chinka pins does change that flavor. There's no tannic acid. And I, uh, they sent me a photo of a buck that was eaten in one of their seed orchards. And, uh, you know, it, it looked like it was a, you know, something Terry Drury would shoot. I mean, it just this monster with drop times and in the middle of the Ozarks, the upland site, tearing up these chinka pins. Hey, Jay, did I see so, a photo of you hunting with an atlatl? Yes. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, so have you hunted with <laughs> There that? goes my trivia question. Yeah. Oh, well. I'll have to come up with another one. Well, he'll get it right. He's good to go. So are you really hunting with it? Oh, yeah. I I love using and making atlatls. I, uh, truthfully, I probably spend more time making them than anything else, but I have been out in the woods and I've hunted with them. I have not taken a deer with one. I don't want to misrepresent, but uh, I, I have taken a rabbit and a squirrel with one, and uh, that's probably harder than anything else. And yeah. I'm going to attribute that to dumb luck as much as anything. Yeah, that's um, pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so cool. And I, <laughs> I, I think, think I saw you uh, holding the Osage self bow in a in a photo as well. Yeah, I'll make a bow out of anything that's worthwhile here in North America. I've learned a lot from the Native Americans that have left their uh, their stuff behind, and I've learned from them. And uh, yeah, Osage orange, hickory, ash. Um, Elm. I've made longbows out of a lot of stuff. As, love, as, love, love it. As Mr. Fox would say, uh, you're a true conservationist. Yeah, so no right. Because that. it's so much harder to kill a kill a deer with one of those things. Yeah, so it makes you a true hat-low. conservationist. <laughs> yeah. Are you napping your own uh, arrowheads? I'm not napping. I've got a buddy who does that for me. I'm not real good at percussion flaking. Now, I can pressure flake, but the percussion, I end up with stuff that uh, isn't really what you want to put on the tip of an arrow. Let's just put it like that. So what, what's the range with, with an atlatl? Do you think you could, you know, all things right, you could kill a deer? Oh, if it was 20, 25 yards uh, and I'm practiced up, I've got a pretty good chance of hitting them in the boiler room. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Would, would that arrow, I mean, that's a long, that's a long, a spear, I, I guess, would be maybe the better word. It is. Would, would that go, would it cut, would it, would there be an exit wound if you hit him in the lungs? Oh, if it, it depends on what you hit on the way through. But yes, it could go all the way through. I mean, think about how heavy, think about how heavy that arrow spear is yeah. and the momentum. And for people that don't know, an atlatl is like a, a spear chucker. It's a, it's a stick with a hook on the end. You hold both the spear and the spear chucker, and it kind of hooks into the back of the spear. Chunker. And you're using it to fling the spear. So there's a leverage. lot more leverage involved than just holding the spear with your hand. Yeah. Is that, that's pretty much the that's, premise. That's a good way to describe it. And you can launch that spear at about anywhere from 55 to 60 miles per hour using an atlatl it's incredible the amount of force that you can get and by the way that will go through a garage door Don't ask <laughs> me know that. Um, i remember a few years ago you know missouri legalized it you know some states you can kill a deer with whatever you want to some states you can't but uh i think missouri added that as a as archery if i'm not mistaken uh they've expanded that now uh, you you can use that for a lot of different types of hunting it is a legal method for archery certainly it is for the alternative methods and uh, these days you can even uh, 
hunt with uh, archery or at lateral during the firearm season if you choose to do so. And that was something where another uh, grassroots group, the Missouri at lateral Association, did some demonstrations to show how accurate they were at hitting a target consistently and said, we would like to be able to hunt like this. And then after it was legalized, it wasn't very long. And you had the first at lateral harvest in Missouri in a very long time. And it has since been replicated by not that individual, but more than just that person. So uh, it is a legal method. People do pursue it. I'm not going to say it's uh, going to take the state by storm, but it's another <laughs> yeah. opportunity. And if you're really looking for a challenge, that's a great way to do it. It's kind of like throwing a baseball. You have to practice to get good at it. But once you're there, uh, it's really something else to get your heart beating. I'm betting Lanny would be good at it because he's got these long right arms. That, and and as big as long as your arms are, you would have a you would have even more leverage. I would think. Well, let's we're gonna make one. But it, AJ, if you're up in a tree on a platform on a ladder stand, that's a lot of motion, isn't it? With that atlatl, more than with it just a compound bow. It is, but I don't get up in the tree stand with the atlatl. Um, if I'm going to do that, I'm in a brush blind. I'll make something much like the natives would have done. I'm down on the ground. I'm hoping for that deer to walk past me in a quartering away. And then uh, I'm open. He looks the other direction because yeah, I do have a lot of arm motion that goes with that. But uh, the bottom line is you can bring home the bacon with a spear thrower and it has been done in the, in the ancient past and it's been done in the modern past. And they probably made some of those spear throwers out of Ozark chinkapins. Yeah. Possibly. <laughs> there is some evidence of that. Yes. Uh, there was a research project in Arkansas where they found some remnants in a rock shelter. And they think part of the reason that atletal was preserved is not only because it was in a dry area, but because it was made of Ozark chinkapin wood, which, as you mentioned, is rot resistant and would uh, therefore resist the uh, the ravages of time. That's so cool. And we're, we're getting way off topic, but I'm, I'm totally happy with it. So, uh, Lanny, I'm thinking this atlatl thing, if we could get A.J. to come down, that he could walk up in some pigs. If he oh, got, no got the wind right, walk up <laughs> in no some doubt. pigs, 15 or 20 That yards. would actually be a fun way to practice is, is on yeah. an invasive species. Yeah. You know. Hey, A.J., are you up for it? <laughs> I missed what you said uh, we were hunting. Now, what are we after? We want to invite you uh, down here to do some wild pigging with that with that spear chuck. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about that after the show. <laughs> um, but, yeah, last thing, you know, most people, they see what they think is an arrowhead, you know, the bigger ones. That's actually a spear point mm -hmm. that was on the end of a atlatl dart. Uh, the little bitty ones were on the end of an arrow. And they're so, more bird points. You know, people, what people call bird points is actually an arrowhead on the end of an arrow. Yeah. Okay. The other one you'd call a. Well, spear I'm sorry. Point. I, I'm sorry. I got us off. But I, I, when I saw that picture, I, want, I had to ask you about that. I'm and I'm sorry I messed up your. Uh, no, that's trivia that's question. fascinating. And uh, I, you know, one of my goals is that uh, the nursery can begin uh, producing uh, the native castaneas and phase out the non-native castaneas. Yes. Um, and we got so, start that, Dudley. I don't know, but uh, I want, you know, uh, a long time ago, the, the way I got to know you guys and, and Steve is uh, I sent some uh, tree tubes. I sent 50 tree tubes to the OCF for them to use in, in some of their plots. Um, and I got a few seeds. Unfortunately, a tornado got my couple of Ozark chinkapins I had at my farm. Um, but I, I want to try, I want to try some more. We're going to join back up and, uh, Good. 
we encourage our listeners to do the same and, and help help get this thing going. You bet. And interestingly enough, I've got two trees that probably came not too far from where you all are broadcasting. Uh, they are Mississippi Ozark Chinkman My trees. understanding is there's one uh, like maybe in Lafayette County near Oxford and uh, Batesville. Lafayette. Lafayette. <laughs> well, you I've say got tomato, a, I say tomato. Thank you, Mr. So, yeah, I've got a couple of those trees on my property, and I'm babying those. And then uh, when they get to the point where they're actually flowering, which happens within three to five years of being planted, uh, I'm going to try to make sure they pollinate each other. And then if I get some seeds that are specifically from Mississippi, I want to earmark those for restoration in that state. That's great. Well, I'd, I'd love to have some. some. I'm going to grow some. That Bobby, okay. your your farm would be a good site. The you, Ponderosa. You've got yeah. the upland. You've, you've got, you know, some rocky areas probably and good upland I'd, stuff. I'd, they well, I'm the join. They Look, probably I, wouldn't be the best spot on the river bottom. But uh, any kind of acidic, you know, probably place. south or west facing slope up on the hill would, would be good. That, this is just fat. You know, I try I, when I imagine what the woods used to look like. It's just depressing to it, think. It's amazing to think about it, and this wasn't that long ago either. You know, I mean, it was less than a hundred years ago. And I'm I'm assuming they're you know they're a fire adapted species. They are. The only thing is, you don't want them burned early on. Sure. Um, the seedling's going to have to get a little bit of girth on them, get pretty good size, get the limbs up above some of that flame length, and then uh, yeah, they are very heat adapted. I've got some interesting photos from uh, Oregon County, Missouri. There was a wildfire that went through there, and some of the oaks have flame marks that go up a good two to three feet on the trunk. The Ozark chinkapin trunks, which were same size trees, uh, they look like they're looking around saying, what, something happened? I don't get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they had no marks, no evidence of fire at all whatsoever. Chinkapin, I wonder what that word means. I tried to look it up. Do you know, AJ? Oh, at one time I've looked that up. Um, it is, it's a word that came from some of the native tribes on the East Coast. Um, I read you know, where. You to think of it after you, I'm off of here. Yeah, so <laughs> I read where John Smith was reporting back that there was a nut that the that the local natives were just fascinated by that they called a chinky pen. Right. And it was just so important to their lives. Um, and, and he wrote back how fascinating it was. I bet my buddy Dr. Chuck Ma would know what that is, but he's not here. So, but you know, my favorite one of my favorite fish is a shellcracker, and it's called a chinkapin. Also, mm-hmm. I just wonder. And then, what the- uh, you know, when when we sell chinkapin oak, and uh, everything has a common name, and so I, in time, I, it would either be spelled with a Q U or a K. And now, what I do is the oak chinkapin. I spell that with the K, and the the Castanea chinkapin, chestnut chinkapin, I spell that with a Q-U. That's just my way of doing it. Well, and I'm with you on that. I, that's the way I prefer to do it. But if somebody ever were to write to me, I'm not going to correct them. As long as they're interested I, in saving the chinkapin, spell it any way you like. Absolutely right. not. Um, so does anybody have any more? Mac, you got one? What about Richie? Richie, you look like you got a question, but it's probably... <laughs> You're probably, yeah, okay. I, we have a, a, a chinkapin out here in the in the yard, don't we? No, that that is actually, that is a dwarf chinkapin oak from Nebraska. Oh. That's a totally different species. Okay. But it's an oak. Well, you called it a chinkapin in right. my defense. Yeah. <laughs> Dudley is so confusing. <laughs> that's that's Quercus pernoides, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. 
AJ. Well, yeah, that, 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 I, I'm going to plant some chinkapans. Oh yeah, some Ozark chinkapans. We all yeah. are. Yeah. Let's I'm glad all to hear join. It. We need a we need a couple bags of seed to get this thing going on. <laughs> so, do you think there'll be uh, you, you, there'll be nuts available this year, or are you, are you worried about the? Well, I'm worried about them, but you know what? I'm I, I'm just a little bit this much like a farmer now. I, yeah. I worry about it all the time. We know all about that. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, this year the, we had a pretty good spring in terms of it wasn't too rainy, wasn't too cold, um, and we had good blooming. And I feel like we had pretty good pollination. But boy, it turned off hot in June and got dry, and uh, that really hurts. I know that in oak species, if you don't have a good rain by the middle of August, uh, it'll just about doom your crop for that particular fall. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how it's going. We've been out watering some of the younger trees to make sure that they are able to get their root system established and so on. Uh, but as far as being able to save the nut crop, those trees are a little too big for us to backpack water up a hill and mm -hmm. put that where it belongs. But, uh, wow. you know, yeah. the mature trees are usually pretty adapted. They will bounce back. And if we don't get seed to somebody in one particular year, those individuals go right to the front of the list for the following year. So typically we don't have two bad years in a row, knock on wood. Uh, so we'll make sure that if somebody has paid their dues as a member, we're going to make it right, make sure they get seed, if not that year, the next year. I think a lot of these folks that, that pay dues uh, – for an organization like this or, or understanding of, of those bad years. I mean, yeah. that's, that's why they're members is, yeah. is to, to support it and not complain that's when they right. don't get enough seed. That's that right. It sounds like y'all are just, it's a, it's a great mission you guys are on. So I'm looking at Mac. He's raising his hand over here. He's, you got to go to the bathroom, Mac, or what? No, no, I have a question uh, for AJ. So, AJ, what time of year uh, do these acorns drop, and when do you normally see the wildlife, like deer, uh, you know, hit them? Are they, are they on the ground as soon as they're on the ground, or are the deer, you know, scratching them out of the leaves, or is it something that they let them hang out for a little bit, and then they'll find, or find them later in, into winter? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's going to depend a little bit on where you are in latitude, but over here in the Ozarks, I generally see the seeds dropping, oh, first part of September, middle September, uh, and you're going to see a little bit of difference between the American chestnut, the Allegheny chinkapin, and the Ozark chinkapin. Um, <clears throat> but it, interestingly enough, it's also different in the bloom time. We were talking about acorns and uh, failure of a crop there. We get a lot of uh, late season frosts and freezes that impact the blooms of the oak trees. We don't tend to get that with. Um, nope. Pardon uh, me, should shut my phone. Bobby's is a Bobby's is Bobby's phone ring is a Bob White quail. You must yeah. be a chicken owner. <laughs> yeah, I've got my chickens in the pocket typically. Sorry about that. No, um, it's all good. So yeah, these things don't bloom at the same time. They bloom in late May, early July, early June. And that means they're not going to get hit with a frost or a late freeze as easily as some of the oaks will. So they're much more dependable. And as a consequence, they would have been much more reliable as a food source than oaks or even hickories would have been. Now, as far as when they start to drop their nuts, the animals are on them almost immediately. And even though they have spiny burrs that are very painful to get into, you wouldn't want to step on them. You don't want to grab them casually. They certainly hurt. But I have seen photographs of bears from field cams munching on green chinkapin burrs trying to get at the nuts. Mm. Squirrels will get in there. They will cut off the entire cluster of burrs, and they'll run off with them and try to chew into the burr and get into the nuts. 
And then, of course, once they hit the ground, mice, wood rats, squirrels, um, jays, uh, crows, all kinds of critters are out in the woods going after this. And they figure out really fast that they taste good and uh, it's pretty popular. So then, that's what I see in terms of what's on the game cameras and what I see just uh, on the trees that I tend. So those things are dropping at a time of year when the browse has turned really woody. Um, a lot of the, you know, weeds and things, you know, it's really dry. So a lot of the foods that were there in, in probably in June and July are absent. And they uh, does are lactating, they're fall, you know, it's, it's just a perfect time of year for something like that to drop uh, from so, yeah, a wildlife standpoint. The, yeah, when they're dropping in that September, October time, that would be one of the first nuts they're able to start getting access to those amino acids and those fatty acids. Um, it's going to be real crucial for them as they're getting ready for the, the winter season. Yeah, again, uh, that's when sawtooth oak drops. So hopefully we, we can replace sawtooths with the Ozark chinkapin, a, a native mass crop. I read where somebody said when they saw a chinkapin nut that it made their mouth water and it made their hands sore. Mm. Yeah. When we, we used to try to, you know, when we clean the chestnuts, we have to put like two pair of two pair of leather gloves on sometimes we've you know run over them in the truck to squish them out of the burrs mm. uh, it's not fun at all not fun at all yeah nature protected those seeds very well yeah well that's this has been fascinating that's a good question mike good stuff what else you got dud well that that's that's about as far as i can get here and unless you've got something you want to add uh so how does somebody join do you do you have any of that information you can share with us you bet if they google ozark chinkapin foundation it's going to lead you right to our website and on the home page you scroll to the bottom uh, you're going to pass a lot of our news and uh, things that we've done recently at the bottom is a membership opportunity and you can pick whatever level of uh, membership you want to deal with or if you just want to do a donation and i can assure you those funds go toward uh, getting seeds getting pollination taken care of, maintenance, and just like that tube donation you did, every little bit helps. I guarantee you those have gone toward protecting those seedlings from rodents and from uh, a lot of damage that would otherwise happen from bears or, or bucks in particular. Um, that kind of stuff, that's what we use the funding for, is to further more and more chinkapin growth so we can get the nuts out to people. And the ultimate goal is down the road, Maybe the Ozark Chinkapin Foundation isn't needed anymore because we've got this tree. Uh, we found those that are blight resistant and we have them planted in such a way that they're all over the place. And isn't that a nice dream to have that they're out there for people and wildlife to observe and take advantage of. And, uh, and it's not a forgotten tree anymore. To me, that would be the ultimate goal. That's success. And we're moving in that direction. That's a cool story, bro. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, so, uh, AJ. Yeah. Now pay attention. We always like to ask our guest a trivia question, and if you get it right, one of the people that have given us a review wins a fabulous prize. So all the pressure right. is on you to get this right. <laughs> so, Mac, tell him who he's playing for. So, AJ, you're playing for Josh Griffin 24, and the prize is a Stanley Travel Mug in Mossy Oak, 
country DNA. Which, nice. Lanny, you just, uh, you've just, been. I've, I've used one. You were right. fondling that one a little while ago. Is this the one ago. you've got mail? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I used <laughs> slightly used. <laughs> slightly used, okay. Well, the, the question is, AJ, and I, I hope you know the answer to this. It'd be kind of embarrassing if you didn't. Um, <laughs> no pressure. What? Now, look, you got to tell him he gets to phone a friend if he needs to. Yeah, if you need to phone a friend, you can. Yeah. Uh, we want you to get this right. Yeah. So uh, I was going to ask you all the different genera of Fagaceae uh, in the U.S., but to, well, that's a little course. bit far-fetched. Uh, so I mean, yeah. what three <laughs> genera from Fuga the family Fagaceae are east of the Mississippi River? Fagus is, that's beech. Quercus, which is your oak. Castanea, which is your chestnuts. And I'm getting real short real fast there. But that's three. That's, that's three. three. Thank that's you, it. Mr. You got Dora. it. He nailed ding, it. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> he nailed yeah. it. How, how about that? But yeah, there's some oddballs out in California and out, you know, Crisala. Chrys, you know, yeah. Yeah, you would have stumped Cast me if you went out west. I'm, I'm done. I'm toast. Yeah, I'm a local too. I, I struggle with some of that stuff that I don't live around. Well, guys, this is uh, listening to this story about these trees going away and that what these guys are doing to bring them back, and the fact that you can join AJ's organization and the. the uh, it's just, uh, I think people ought to do this. and uh, uh, No doubt, and, and it just raises awareness levels of, yeah. of really what's going on. To think about the story <laughs> of these trees and the blight and everything else, it realizes, makes you realize how things can get impacted. So, uh, so yeah. this would be really, like like you, Lanny, with mm -hmm. uh, with a, uh, young children. Young, yes. You could get four or five of these nuts and plant them and tell them the story, yes. watch these things grow, and then go Oh, we've planted a chestnut, a blight-resistant chestnut. We've went through that. So I'd love to add some to my little orchard out there. Yeah, a little diversity. I still think I can make them grow by the, in the river bottom. I bet you that you probably – I won't bet against you on that. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. You know, guys, my mom got let out of school back in the 1950s to see a deer track in a farm field. That's right. And – in my area, we brought back deer and turkey and, and wood ducks and brought back our forest and brought back our, our game fish. That was the, the conservation story of the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. This right here is our conservation story. This is what we get to bring back. This is what we get to work with. And to me, I feel like that's a, a conservation story in the waiting and uh, we're just paying it forward. Somebody did it for us and we're taking advantage of all these resources that are back again. And I want to make sure that I do my part to make sure that chinkapins are back on the landscape and that people get to enjoy them. And it's not a forgotten species. Me too. I'm joining today. Yeah. Join y'all get, uh, that'd be great. Yeah. We, we want to be, a big, <laughs> we definitely want to be a big part of that, which yeah. is really why we, you know, we asked to, to have you on here. And, uh, gosh, this is one of my favorite I, I knew it would be. Yeah. So, AJ, <laughs> why don't you hang on, AJ? Just This will be a treat for you. Dudley, have you got an Ask Dudley? I do. So, let's um, do that. Okay. Mac, you want to read it? Yeah, I got it. All right. So, hello. I've had success with tree tubes from native nurseries on a variety of trees. I'm curious if tree tubes are recommended for short-leaf pines or pine species in general. <laughs> Thanks. Warm regards, Gerald. Yeah. So Great me, question. Me and uh, Gerald and I emailed back and forth on this. Uh, actually, he's he's from Missouri, and he said short-leaf. So that's, uh, that's an indigenous pine uh, to uh, like Arkansas and Missouri. You know, we've, mm -hmm. we've planted loblolly all over the place. Right. Um, 
So that's cool that he's planting the indigenous pine. Um, so one of my buddies named Chris Seams, who helped us get in the tree tube game, uh, has been involved with tree tubes for years. And in fact, you know, he's, uh, you know, they he's started. He's a tree tube guy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he has studied and emailed and talked to people literally all over the world about tree tubes. Uh, here in the States, we don't tube conifers. But in a lot of parts of Europe, they use tree tubes on conifers. They just use a much shorter tree tube. Um, pines and, and conifers in general, they like to branch out from the moment they, they come out of the ground and uh, have wide branches uh, from the base. I think they, that's called X-current growth, where a lot of, uh, a lot of other trees have decurrent growth. Um, but uh, so that's really your answer. If, if you're going to plant a whole lot, you know, like plantation style, you probably just need to, you know, not use tubes and, and plant them at, at a, a tighter spacing and cross your fingers. But if you're going to do a small area, um, you probably do want to try to protect them in some way, especially if you've got a lot of deer. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, in the wintertime, rabbits and things can chew the, the base. So uh, what... I've had some folks do on a smaller scale is they'll buy tree tubes and, and cut them in half or thirds and use that on conifers. So it really just depends on how many you're doing and uh, what kind of population of seedling predators you have in your area. There you go. So that's it, Gerald. I hope that helps. Good one. Pretty common question for us. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Mr. AJ. We Thanks really appreciate here. you yeah, being awesome. here. Yeah. Thanks very much for giving me the opportunity to visit with you. You guys have been a treat, uh, and I thank you for that. Well, uh, hats hey. off to the MDC, hats right. off to the OCF, and hats off to AJ. We really, thank you very we much. really appreciate it. No doubt about it. Everybody get out there and do something about this. Thing. Yeah. Do something <laughs> to help. Yeah, yeah. we're going to join and get some of your nuts and get those things in the ground in some key places and – Everybody's kind of looking at that. Probably didn't sound the best way. <laughs> Nonetheless, sound, but uh, I mean, I, your intentions were pure. That, that's right. For that, once. <laughs> so, Mr. AJ, thank you so much. Hendershot, AJ Hendershot, and uh, Dudley, the name of the organization, quickly. The Ozark Chinkapin Foundation. Cool. Look so. forward to seeing you down here with that atlatl, too. That'll be awesome. <laughs> Well, All right, thank So, Lanny, I really think you ought to learn to throw one of those out. I'm, I'm in, you know, whatever. I'm going to make one first. We can, we can practice back in the warehouse like we, like we like do we with archery to. equipment. Have to move all the biologic seed out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what you need is another hobby. Uh, no, for real. Yeah. So, I, but I, as long as your arms are, I would think you could rear back fling and sling. Need no one doubt. with one of those judo points on Let me throw it at you, see how bad it hurts. Yeah, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Not going to do that. So, what did we learn today? Dudley, you probably didn't learn anything, but Lanny and I sure did. I just I learned again. There's just so much more stuff out there that we don't know about that we need to be curious about and uh, trying to bring things back. Yeah, I mean, you know, the history. You know, history tells us a lot, and we need to pay attention to what's happened with these species, uh, and you know, help restore them as much as you can. He made a very good point about how we focused on uh, whitetail on on the uh, on fauna, not flora. Uh, but like you, Bobby, I, I, I like to, like, when I'm in the woods, I wonder what it looked like 100 years ago. Yeah. 
I really do. It's a shame that those trees are gone. It's a shame that those trees are gone. That's yeah. exactly right. And so we need to do It's our we fault. We, we bring in a lot of these non-natives, and, and that's why some of this stuff happens to begin with. That's so, right. So uh, we've got to get out there. And, so you know, there's like that song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. So there's been, a, you know, like our kids have grown up with never experiencing roasting chestnuts. I, I've never experienced roasted chestnuts. Yeah, I've seen them in New York on the side of the street vendors, and right. no, I think those nuts those are come European from, or Chinese. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're imported. Yeah, but you're right. There's that old Christmas song that everybody knows, and nobody knows what it's referring to. So, so we yeah. need to start we need to start doing roasting it. them on a fire, bring them back. Let's All go. right, Mac, you got anything? Did you learn anything? I did. I did. It's 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 interesting to think. <laughs> that you can make a difference. And looking back at the, the conservation victories and to be a part of that conservation victory down the road would be something to be cool to be a part of. It sure would. And exactly you and Wilkes right. ought to plant some of these trees for Do sure. It. We're so, all joining. Yeah. yeah. So, look, guys, uh, Tuesday nights on the Outdoor Channel, don't forget to watch the Gamekeeper Television Show. Richie works really Go, hard on that. Give yourself a horn, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I he, think he's tired of working on it. <laughs> he, he probably is. He's doing a great job. It's some interesting stuff. We've, yeah, uh, it is. It's great stuff. W- once again, we're kind of focused on, uh, on helping people with turkeys. It's, it seems to be like the first four or five shows. That's what they've been about this you year. You know so how it is. We care about those turkeys. I like that's your for turkeys. Sure. That's right. Yeah. So, anything else, Mike, Richie, Dud? You got anything? Nope. All right, Lance. Awesome looking stuff. at you. Look like you're hungry. You fixing to Always. get out? Of, yeah. Okay, why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac Mac. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.